Welcome to the What's Your Revolution show, a show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, revolutionaries? I hope everything is well and you are well on your way on answering our question, What's Your Revolution? And you know that you can reach out if you need any help or assistance and answering the question to even find out what that actually means for you trying to figure out where you're going to make the change in your life and how you can make change in your communities for your children for your wives for your partners for all the people if you need that assistance make sure that you reach out to us charles at uh, what's your revolution.com or you can get me on instagram at what's your revolution or on facebook at the same what's your revolution I want to be grateful for everybody who's listening to the show lately. Grateful for Will Snowden, our Revolutionary of the Year, and all the support that we received and the accolades that he was placed upon him last week as we recognized him as the brother who is making strides not only in the state of Louisiana, but also around the country. We want to make sure that our brothers and sisters get a fair trial, particularly here in Louisiana, as Amendment 2 was passed where we now have to have unanimous juries to ensure that people uh, get their rights here in Louisiana. And we are pushing for more criminal justice reform across the country. I'm always fortunate here on What's a Revolution to interview some of the most prolific movers and shakers here in the country and around the world. I'm fortunate today to have Alfred A. Edmund Jr the chief content editor and senior vice president at Black Enterprise. If you don't know this brother, all you have to do is Google him and you will find that this brother, as I said, is a mover and shaker. He is making change. He is taking names and making sure that we as people are informed. Dear brother Alfred, it's an honor to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm doing really, really well, man. I'm only, I only have two uh, answers to how are you, and it's either excellent or amazing. <laughs> on a, I on love a normal that. day, I'm excellent, and when it gets tough, I be ama- I'm amazing because I have to be. I got you. I got you. I feel the same. This is one of those days, dear brother, where I have to be amazing. I just actually finished an interview of my own where I was being interviewed and had to rush across town here in New Orleans and to make sure that I was ready to interview and be a part of your greatness, to have you know my listeners understand who you are and what you're doing in the world, dear brother. As we start every show, Alfred, I ask all my guests, what's your revolution? My re- revolution is relationship education. Um, my mm. wife and I have a, a company called Grown Zone Relationship Education, and my passion for that particular revolution is teaching people that your choices in pursuit of sex, love, and relationships have a direct impact on your career, business, and financial success. And that if you don't recognize that, if you don't learn to make what we call grown decisions, which is different from adult choices, you cannot have sustained business, financial, career, or any other kind of success. Because most of the time when we derail those things, it's because we have failed to address um, how we've been taught or in most cases miseducated about how to handle ourselves in pursuit of relationships in general and romantic relationships in particular. So our revolution is the grown zone revolution. The grown zone, you know, and I had this down in my questions for you to ask about this. 
But I think that, you know, we're going to go and jump into that real quick. Not even real quick. I want to spend a little time. This this revolution of yours, you talk about the grown zone and making grown decisions, not adult decisions, grown decisions, and how particularly in relationships, they have an impact on the rest of your life. What's the difference, as you say, between making grown decisions and adult decisions, and why why that differentiation? The primary difference between an adult decision and a grown decision is adult decisions are focused on what you have the right to do as an adult. Grown focuses on what is the healthy thing for you to do. And in the grown zone, we only talk about what's healthy or what's not healthy, and people can learn more at grownzone.com. Um, which is a, a, an initiative we started back in, in 2012, my wife and I. But, but we differentiate between what you have the adult right to do and what is the grown, healthy thing to do. Right, right. So think, think of the stages of human development. You're, you're born, you're, you're a baby, toddler, um, maybe become a preteen, then a teenager, and then ultimately adult. And we've been taught that adult is the final stage of human development. We, in the grown zone, we, we teach that no, grown is the final, <laughs> the final stage of development, and grown and adult aren't the same thing. Grown right. has to, have, uh, uh, you know, going from birth to adulthood, unless, unless you die before then, it's going to happen. It's, an, it's a matter of just ma- physical maturation. Like, you know, you're going to grow to become an adult, you know, just because you, you survive puberty. But to be grown, you have to choose to be grown. You have to choose personal growth. You have to choose self-love, you have to choose um, uh, uh, having a decision-making framework focused on what's healthy for you. And most of us are not taught to do that. We're taught that once we become adult, pretty much do what we want to do, um, and whether that's healthy for us and the people around us or not. So that, that was the foundation for what the grown zone is all about. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean you're grown. And some of us never reach grown status because if you never choose it, you can't become it. Right, right. You know, so people will ask, you know, there's always a there's always a place where things come from, Alfred. And so my question to you is that, you know, what was the impetus for this? What what made you say this was going to be my revolution, my change in the world, along with the other great things that you're doing? But this is this is something that people are like, whoa, you know, where did this come from for you? Well, you can get the, the, the detailed story is a, is a free ebook that I published um is a downloadable ebook last year called Buy Love, Get Trouble, Sell Love, Get Screwed. Um, oh, and I like that. Is how your choices in pursuit of sex, love, and relationships impact your career and business and financial success. And, and it's somewhat, if you go to grownzone.com forward slash buy love, get trouble, you can still download you know, a PDF of the book. Right. Um, ultimately, we're going to publish it as a traditional book and sell it, but right now we're just making it available as a, as a free download. And it, it, but in the beginning of the book, I tell in great detail the catalytic event in my life that made me re- recognize that while I had been an adult for a very long time, I was not grown yet. And that was a series of poor relationship decisions that included a really, really devastating second marriage. Um, and it was a perfect example of everything I had done in those relationships and including my both my first and second marriage, my marriage to Zara Green, my wife and business partner, is my third and final marriage. But it's the first, <laughs> health, but it's the first healthy relationship I've ever had, because it was the first healthy relationship that I entered into as a grown man. Wow. So by my wow. own, by our own definition of grown and um, 
there's another book that 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 called Loving in the Grown Zone that my wife and I are actually best known for. And one of the things that we talk about is um, some of the ways you could tell that you are living a grown lifestyle or living according to a grown agenda. And according to that agenda, and my, by my own definition, I didn't become a grown man until um, my late 40s, like 47, 48 years old. Wow. Because I, what I had to do at that point as I emerged from this very financially devastating, career-threatening, um, um, mental health-threatening, and you and I are both passionate about the black men in particular taking care of their mental health. Right. But I, I reached a point where I was literally um, pushed to the point to the brink of breaking because of a series of decisions I had made that I had that absolute right to make, that, that I was doing anything that no adult, that any adult would have, would have seen as objectionable, yet it brought me to a position of, of severe, a severely unhealthy situation financially, emotionally, professionally, and, and physically. And that being broken down that way made me have to reassess every decision I had made and this is a process I had begun in earlier um, encounters with therapists earlier in my life, but I never finished the process. So I, I, it made me go back through and say, I need to reassess everything I ever thought about what it meant to be an adult, what it meant to be a man, what it meant to have um, you know, relationships, what a marriage is supposed to look like, and undo a lot of the teaching that I had either been taught directly or indirectly that had no basis in fact and was certainly unhealthy. Right. Um, I had not met um, Zara Green, my wife, yet. This was a process. I went through um, on my own and, and reached a certain decision about having to change the beliefs um, that I had bought into during different stages of my life and that the, the, the creation of that new approach, the evolution of that new approach to life and relationships in particular became the foundation eventually for what the grown zone is today. Right. My wife, Zara Green, came a, a different path and, and we don't have enough time. I'm going to show you to tell you blow by blow. But the right. bottom line is, before we even knew each other, it turned out our messaging and our messaging first emerged on Twitter. Um, we didn't know each other. She was living in Atlanta at the time. I was living in New York. But people thought that we were that we knew each other because she would tweet with a hashtag of "grown is sexy," not "grown and sexy," because everything that <laughs> you know, people say it's is not grown, it's not grown or sexy. Right. Exactly. Um, it's destructive. So she used to tweet that, and I tweet with a hashtag you may have seen called a grown man knows. Right. So that's when I started interpreting my reassessment of how I should conduct myself as a man in a way that would be healthy for me and those I was engaged with. And because of those two hashtags having that kind of grown theme, people thought we knew each other when we, we had never met. That's, and, Alfred, this is, this is so interesting to me, you know, the love story that comes out of, you know, your assessment um, uh, you know, and then the merging of the, the merging of the Twitter, my, my thoughts as I'm thinking about this, because my story is very similar to yours, you know, having this awakening two years ago after being kicked out of my, you know, then girlfriend's home for, you know, her basically catching me in lies and, you know, lies that had been, you know, the structure of our relationship, the foundation of our relationship, because I was not in that vulnerable space to say what I needed and wanted. And so it's so interesting, you know, as you talk about that watershed moment that, you know, being in that 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 pit of the tumult of a divorce and what that feels like for people and having to make that grown decision about how I'm going to change. 
So what part did honesty and vulnerability play in your decisions around being a grown man? I mean, in my case, it was about less about, I mean, I wasn't deceptive or anything like that. That wasn't the issue. The issue, I wasn't self-loving enough. Mm. What does that mean? For Well, in my case, play that I'm, out. A, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I mean, now I'm a people pleaser in recovery um, for a variety of reasons that had to do with my upbringing. Um, you, know, you know, people talk about men being uh, commitment phobic. I was the opposite. I was commitment compulsive. Really? Tell Meaning, the story. There's a lot of men and women who are commitment compulsive, but since commitment is celebrated in our society, it's a socially acceptable mm. um, thing to be commitment compulsive, but it's not really a good thing if you're doing it compulsively without any real framework to help right. decisions. So mm. to give you kind of a short, you know, quick uh, condensed version, um, one of my former therapists, who happened to be a black male, you know, the first only black male therapist I ever had, um, but was excellent. Um, this was that as I was coming out of my first marriage, and he was trying to give me some clues as to why um, I, I would have these, um, I would make these commitments, and then not be able to sustain healthy relationships. So he made me go through every time in my life when I thought I was in love. He's like, he's like only the, he's like, only the times you thought you were in love. You may have dated different women, but only the times that you thought you were in love. Those are the ones I want to hear about. Among other things, the common thread of every woman I ever thought I was in love with was they already had a child. <laughs> I'm not la I'm not laughing at you, no, brother. I, 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 I'm I'm seeing myself in that right. So that's why that that's what that yeah. laugh is for. Yeah, exactly. Go go ahead. Yeah. So you know, after continuing to explore, I mean, you, you know, you he didn't do like you know, um, just pop psychology. He was like, let's talk about this. But I'm raised, I was raised by a divorced single mother, oldest of four children. Um, so that means I was, you know, technically, you know, what they always tell the oldest male, if there's not a man in the house, you're the man in the house. Right. Boy. And so I was always super responsible. I was always a, a great kid, a great student. I overachieved. And it was being driven a lot by seeing my mother struggle and me wanting to seem like I'm not adding to that struggle and, and taking on things and that I was probably not really, you know, mature enough or prepared to do. So it set a pattern of um, what we basically decided was I had a pattern of behavior that was designed around rescuing women who reminded me of my mother who was struggling. And, by the way, not being my father who was absent during that period. Wow. I was, you know, so, so these, are, these are things that you're adopting beliefs and assumptions about those beliefs, and if you're not conscious of your beliefs, you will adopt a pattern of behavior and, and feel emotions around those behaviors that you don't even really know. I didn't even realize I was doing this pattern over and over. And the only difference between um, the women who, you know, the only thing with my two marriages is that I actually happened to marry the two women. So the relationship broke down after we got married. Right. Every one of the relationships, they weren't sustainable. Because I wasn't entering it to the only, there's only one good reason to enter into a, a, a healthy relationship. And that is you are dedicated to their growth and capacity to love, and they're dedicated to your growth and capacity to love. All the other reasons that society gives us, you know, um, you know, you know, marry so you can have sex without burning in hell. <laughs> you know, if you want to have sex, get married. <laughs> so, you know, you know, or... All those structural um, tenets of Christianity. Christianity, mm -hmm. movies, television, family tradition, 
there are all these influences on us about what is, is healthy um, or appropriate, not necessarily healthy, appropriate relationship behavior. And there's no, well, our system is a formal, uh, we call it like a driver's education course, it's a lover's education course, that says <laughs> how do you approach relationships in a way that makes sense, in a way that protects you, protects the other person or other people, because in the beginning it's, you should be dating multiple people anyway, but eventually navigate yourself to the person who is healthy for you and you're healthy for them. Right. And so everything about the grown zone is healthy or unhealthy. It's not good or bad. It's not evil. It's not Christian or non-Christian. It's not, it's, it's, is it healthy for you or is it unhealthy for you? And then we do a framework to help people identify what's healthy for them, what's not healthy for them, and to, and to use that framework as they're deciding who to let into their life and how intimate they should be with that person. Man, I need to. I'm, t- I'm telling everybody right now, go out and get this book, and it's going to be the Starting next thing the grown zone. You won't on my it. table. Yeah, It's, it's five-star rated on Amazon. It's available as an e-book, hardcover, softcover. It, you know, it, I, I, it's easy for me to say it's a great book because me and my you wife wrote, wrote it. it. <laughs> but you'll see, you'll look at the reviews. Um, search the hashtag loving in the groans on social media. See what people say about it. Um, it, 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 it's one of those books that um, now I can say it's about to get to being called a classic. Right, you, right. You published it uh, now. It's been about almost three years ago, I guess. Right. Maybe going on right. four, but, but but the way it's going, I think we'll eventually see it as a classic. Right. You listen to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Cooper. My guest is senior vice president and chief content editor and best-selling author, Alfred Edmund Jr. of Black Enterprise. And we're having an uh, amazing conversation about relationships and how we have to figure out the difference between adult behavior and grown behavior. Alfred, you just, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you and your therapist were able to find, you know, some of the underlying you know, reasons why you were dating certain women. And, you know, we also talked about how you met your wife. So that revelation for you was saying that I date a certain kind of women and particularly women with children because, you know, I was the caregiver. I had to be the man in the house and it felt good. What was it like to rewire that behavior for you? Because many men are thinking like, okay, I might understand this, but how do I then rewire that? How do I not look for that behavior? Because it's been... You know, my understanding has been so ingrained. It's not even my understanding, right, from a theoretic perspective or psychological perspective. It's my understanding because that's what I've done as well. How do you rewire this behavior, Alfred? Well, well, let me just say, uh, just for clarification, they weren't the only women I dated. They were just the only women, women I seemed like I wanted to commit to, like I fell okay. in love with. That's gotcha. He He's like, it's not just women. Women, you know, all the women you date. He wanted to find a common thread for what made me choose to bond with the person. Right. Thanks for the clarification. And there, were, no. and there were other commonalities too, but that was one of the things that came out that that you know you didn't want to be your father. You saw your father as someone who wasn't committed, and you wanted to be there for your mother. And so you, the the narrative that I created in my head was a good man commits fast and stays through anything. Wow. You know that that's the short. But if it's not good for you, you shouldn't commit fast, and if it's not good for you, you shouldn't stay through. Everything. Right. Exactly. So exactly. So, but, but that. So, so get back to the rewiring, and this is what we do with our, our grown zone clients. Um, we do, you know, groups, and we do you know, one-on-one clients as well, who are having either stuck, settling, or suffering in relationships. Those are the kind of the ways we identify people who need our help. So, it starts with questioning and, and challenging your beliefs. 
so what I had to do when I was alone in, in my house, trying to figure out what the heck went wrong, and I was trying to do all the right things, and I was, you know, what did I do wrong? And I had to say, I had to, I had to unpack everything I thought was true and, and ask myself, when did I learn it? When did I come to believe that? You know, and, 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 and with our clients, that often goes back to going back to their, their childhood, like usually before the age was six, that we start going back to what they first believed and where they got that belief from, whether they got it from their parents or an experience at school or something they saw on TV or something that was said to them in church. And, and we start unpacking the most important relationship. The most important relationship, and I'm going to set God aside for, for, for the sake of the statement, um, depending what your listeners, you know, religious beliefs are, I'm going to set that aside. The most important relationship you have is your relationship with yourself. Mm. That's the Same. foundational relationship. In fact, we, we teach our clients, the love you seek from others will never exceed or be a substitute for the love you have for yourself. Mm. And when I say love, like, I don't mean just looking in the mirror and liking how you look and, you know, finding nice things to say about yourself. I, I and, and I did this on my own without when I was going through this process myself, I did a very intentional um, uh, habit of relating to myself the way I would relate to a second person in the room. I mean, for, for example, to, to get myself around this idea of loving myself, there were certain songs that I like R&B, I like love songs. I would reimagine and sing, and sometimes even sing it out loud. I was here in the house by myself, but I had no problem. <laughs> you know, sing those songs, but sing them if I was singing them to me. Mm. to get into this feeling of you love yourself because the higher your threshold of love for yourself, that's the bar that other people in your life will either reach or, or fall off. But that's the standard. So the first rewiring is you got to challenge your beliefs about what you thought was fact and truth. you got to go back and say, are these beliefs serving me or sabotaging me? Right. Every belief you have, it only does either one or the other. There's no neutral. Either the belief serves you or the belief sabotages you. And it could be a, it, that some of the beliefs you have, when you first adopted them, they did serve you. But you have to constantly ask yourself, is, this, is it still serving who I am today and where I am today? And right. we call it cultivating the garden of your own spirit. Part of your responsibility as a grown person is that you have to parent yourself. And parenting yourself is always reassessing your beliefs and saying, does this still serve me or does it sabotage me? And if it serves me, I should nurture it. If it sabotages me, it's my job to uproot it and replace it with another belief. So let me ask you a question to be, to now. Be the, 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 the results I want. Right. So saying that, going back to your journey, you know, going right. back to rewiring, what was something that you said is a behavior or a pattern or a thought that wasn't serving you, that, that was kind of eye-opening for you? Like, wow, this is not serving me. The thought that I had to earn love, mm. that that to earn love, I had to be, and remember I tell you, I was a very good kid, I was an overachiever in school, all the things that were good things, but what it eventually came out it, it, through my own, you know, developed my own relationship with myself and asking questions about when I came to believe things, I began to believe that I had to earn love, that I, but the truth is, I deserve love just because I existed. Right. So when you think you have to earn love, you overdo, you you you, you overcommit, you you try to 
you know, overachieve. You you buy, you try to blow them away every birthday, you know, so there's a financial implication. Right. You try to, you know, be the, 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 the uh, super sexual, you know, performer, whatever, whatever you measure performance by. And remember, mm-hmm. you know, men have been taught to perform, especially black men, unfortunately, in our society, whether it's sports or whatever. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's a, they're unhealthy reasons, meaning you have to believe you deserve love and then you, should, you attract the love that you deserve because you deserve it, not because you have to perform to get it. Right. Tell the story, Alfred. That's amazing. Because I had to recognize I am a people pleaser. And, and I say a people pleaser in recovery. Because here's the other thing about when you're changing your beliefs and trying to change your behavior. The new, healthier behaviors are going to feel unnatural. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Especially in the beginning. So that's why you have to constantly be vigilant that What's healthy for you may not be feel natural to you, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. It's the same way um, a person who is addicted to alcohol, in the beginning when they can't drink, they're they're anxious, they they feel sick, they have because your body has been accustomed to having this in your system, and that's why alcoholics or uh, you know people who are addicted to other behaviors always say, "No, I'm in recovery. I'm not. I haven't stopped being alcoholic. I've just stopped drinking." Wow. And, and in wow. my case, I haven't. I'm still a people pleaser, but I've stopped um, organizing my life around trying to please people to earn their love and support, et cetera. Because it's not just a romantic relationship. You're not one person in a romantic relationship and another person. Different than others. It it, it crosses over. It's just that because romantic relationships tend to be intimate, when you make unhealthy decisions in romantic relationships, they do a lot more damage. Right, exactly. And so we've been taught that, you know, your business and your your, your other relationships or in one compartment, and your relationship, whether it's love, sex, marriage, is in this other compartment. But what's happening in this more intimate area will will undermine everything you're trying to do in these other areas because they're connected. Right, right. You know, Alfred, I think about what you're, you've just been saying and, you know, sitting on that stoop and really thinking, you know, I say sitting on the stoop, sitting on that, that stoop of, you know, my ex-girlfriend's house and, Know, really thinking, how am I going to change my life? And and that change was me really saying, I'm going to be honest in everything that I do. And, you know, I'm vulnerable. I tell this story all the time. You know, telling the truth, particularly in romantic relationships, was not easy. It, 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 was, it was uneasy. You know, even if it was like, you know, asking, you know, how do I look in this dress? Or, you know, what's on your mind? You know, saying to myself, you, no matter what, I've got to tell the truth. I've got to, and at first, Alfred, as you said, it's not easy. It's not, it was like, oh, this feeling like, because it wasn't ingrained in me. And, you know, two years post sitting on that stoop, now it's it's a part of who I am, but it's a practice. Yeah. It is practice, definitely, yeah, happen. yeah, like and it's a practice. Exactly, exactly. And I was in a situation uh, just the other day, and I remember it would have been so easy to lie, and I just said, you know what, this is what's up. This is what's going on. And I needed to tell you. And there's a level of appreciation, right, that comes with that. Like uh, almost, and you know, we can unpack this for a second, is that almost there's a level of a, a level that a level of, of non-expectation of honesty. I think that's what I want to say, that when you tell the truth and you're telling the truth on a regular basis, people are like, whoa, wait a minute, you, you just told me the truth. And it's almost well, like this. It's, it's not an accident. Again, what we call what we do relationship education because we have an undue miseducation. It's, 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 you know, it's popular in family culture, 
popular culture that being in love means you expose a lie. Mm. That, that, that's a loving thing to do. Right. Especially if you're a guy. Right. Even a, I shouldn't even say especially if you're a guy. It, it, <laughs> it's not even women are taught, listen, if he asks you how many people you've been with before he met you. Three. His bread or ego can handle that. Tell him he's the first. <laughs> so we're told we're taught that lying and being deceptive to spare feelings or however mm-hmm. we try to rationalize exactly. is an act of love. So it, you, you didn't come up that, that that was a seed that was planted in you before you even knew you were planted. So that's just what it means to be. And, and the better lover is just somebody who can lie more effectively than the, than the wow, other. Wow. Wow. You know, and that's you know, interesting. So for, so for me, it was the belief, the underlying belief that it took me time to change was that being upfront about my needs and uncompromising about my needs and putting myself first was not selfish. Because and just if you being honest love, about it. What you think is, if I treat this person well enough, they're just going to give me what I want. I'm going to, I'm going to treat them so well that they're going to treat me well back, which is not how it works. No, and that's dishonesty to yourself. It's dishonesty <laughs> to yourself. And the foundational dishonesty is not dishonesty to yourself. Right. If you're, if you're willing to lie to yourself, you'll be willing to dishonest with anybody. Yeah, So exactly. it was me having to look in the mirror and say, you have to operate, even though it's not going to feel naturally for you for a while, you have to be very clear about, to yourself about what you want. And then not necessarily have to have to justify it. That's another thing. If you're if you feel like you have to earn love, then when you get stuff, you feel like you have to justify it. Right, right. You know, you know Alfred, so, we, somebody does something for you, you think you have to actually do something more for them to feel deserving of it. Right, right. You know, we could sit and spend you know the entire conversation about relationships. I want to make sure again give where people can find the book uh, and all yeah, of the information. So, loving just in one the more time. Zone is available anywhere. So, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can go to lovingintheground.com, um, obviously, but it, you can, you know, that's, that's one. You can buy the book anywhere you're used to buying books. Um, and uh, the website for even content that's not in the book is groundzone.com. And then also, uh, again, you can, your listeners can download the free um, PDF ebook, Buy Love, Get Trouble, Sell Love, Get Screwed, by going to groundzone.com forward slash buy love, get trouble. Gotcha. And you can also follow Grown Zone. You can follow me on social media, but we, we Grown Zone is also on Instagram, Facebook. We have a private group on Facebook as well as a business page on Facebook, Twitter, um, and a lot of the people that we serve, including outside the country, um, that's how we, we um, connect with them. Right, right. No, I appreciate that. I want to move our conversation because it, it always goes by fast, and then I'll get off and, like, you know, I wanted to ask Alfred a number of questions that I didn't get so you, to. Well, Yes, there you go. <laughs> a part two. I love that. I love that. You know, being an influencer, and I remember, you know, I follow you on all your social media, and I was reading up as I knew this interview was coming up, and that you got an accolade as being, you know, one of the you know, top influencers, particularly in our community. You know, what does that mean for you? You know, to say that I, Alfred Edmund Jr., and the content that I produce has a tremendous influence on our communities. What does that mean for you? And how are you, how do you use that, you know, to have, you know, an impact on how we see ourselves as a people? Well, for, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm always, you know, flattered and honored, you know, um, and appreciative of that kind of recognition. So, um, for example, I think you're referring to um, Decision, um, 
ranking me as the number one on their top ten list of uh, black media influencers on Twitter in particular. And, but when I make those kinds of lists, you know, I, I got I got an ego that makes me feel good. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna play it off. People say I'm so humble. No, I'm not humble. I'm like this is good. <laughs> so you know, um, but that said, what it really what, the meaningful part of this for me is. What, the way I see myself and my relationship to God is that I'm a vessel. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm just passing. This, I'm not the source of my blessings, and I'm not the final destination of my blessings. They're supposed to come through me, and they're supposed to go to somebody else. Hmm. Um, and, and I think that's why I've been led to being a media professional. I, I think it's why I, I, I do all kinds of public speaking. I'm really big into mentorship, is that people are pouring good into me. And if I turn into a cup instead of a vessel or two that can deliver it to somebody else, then I just wasted what was poured into me. Right. So social media to me is like the ultimate opportunity to share good things that were poured into me. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's just inspiration and God puts a, a thought in my head and I create a meme because I'm like, this really fed and nurtured me. <laughs> you know, how many other people might be fed and nurtured if I share this revelation with them? Right. You know, and and so, it, you know, I'm I'm very proud that I I personally have always engaged, and I do all my own social media. I I, I believe in re- answering people when they DM me and responding. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. You know, and I do it. People are like, when do you find time to do it? I'm like, it's important to me, so I do it whenever I can. And I got, I got my phone in my pocket. How many times you just got idle time in the day? I go check my DMs or check see if somebody asks me a question on Instagram or whatever. But I like that ability to engage and to help people and to learn from them and to do it in real time now and to do it across multiple platforms because it, 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 it helps me to fulfill what I believe is my my gift or my calling or my assignment from God and that that he's like I'm gonna tell you some stuff but I'm not telling you so you could just enjoy it and benefit it from yourself you gotta put it out it there on. Right, and, and right. even experiences, I have this thing that I say is that sometimes uh, God sends you through hell so you can teach other people how to get out. Let me tell you, bro. <laughs> so even the negative experiences in, in, in the, uh, my second marriage and, and subsequent divorce, I, I rank as the most difficult thing I ever went through in life. And I wouldn't wow. go through it again, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But I thank God for the experience because I, that experience was also an education that has helped me to help other people to make better decisions, grown decisions, to either avoid making poor mistakes or to figure out a way to recover in a way that's healthy and, and doesn't do as much potential damage as I may have experienced and the people in my life have experienced. So, right. So, but it's all about what is being fed into me and then what am I supposed to do with it fed into me. I gotcha. And when I see things like, oh, you know, influential and engaged or people tell me oh something you shared on facebook made me do x or i saw you working out in the gym and it made me not skip my workout it's what we're all supposed to be doing we're all supposed to be helping each other along that's what we're that's what we're supposed to do that's the revolution as we say here on the show exactly and i happen to work at a company black enterprise where (laughs) that's what we do that's we're trying to equip in our case african-americans with the information and inspiration and the the venues and the networking opportunities they need to move themselves forward. Right. You know, that's more than just a word of encouragement. And, and so I, I, I've been blessed with a job and a career 
that fits right into what I like to do anyway, what right. I feel you know, gifted to do. So thinking through that, Alfred, knowing that you're using your platform for good and you're using your various platforms to disseminate information that is going to, you know, as we hope, move people to change their life in, in, in respect to making wrong decisions. But we're seeing the social media landscape and, and its vastness. You know, how do we, you know, if I'm up and coming, if I'm the, if I want to be the next Alfred Edmund Jr. and want to be able to translate and disseminate, how would you, you know, mentor someone to feed their social media with positive images? Because we see so many things out there, particularly, you know, in our community that we're saying like, whoa, like, I don't know if I want to see this out here. But you're an influencer. What would you say to the next Alfred Edmund coming behind you? How would you explain to them to put information out that's going to move our community? Well, and, I, and I'm serious about mentorship. So I got I got a whole large, countless men, a network of people who call me their mentor, and I, you know, and we learn from each other. So I learn as much from them as they learn from me. So the question you're asking is one that I. I act on and live every day in terms of what I want to pour into those who choose me as their mentor and say they're going to listen to what I say and follow my example. Um, and, and I take that very, very seriously about being very authentic about what I think matters and how you should conduct yourself. Here's the deal with social media. And I'm not in that camp that like blames social media for all kinds of ills. People used to blame TV for that before TV. People blame radio for that. You know, <laughs> Because media can be used as a tool or a weapon. All media, every media since the beginning of time, can be used as a tool for, or a weapon because you can either teach people things that are healthy for them and that are true, or you can teach them things that are unhealthy for them and that are lies um, and deception that make people do things that are unhealthy for them because they're believing false information. That's, that's true whether you're talking about Twitter or Facebook or you're talking about um, propaganda flyers that were used in the yeah, war for psychological exactly. warfare right. in World War One, you know. So, or the 2016 election, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying, I mean, the 2016 election is, is actually, a, you know, obviously a, a glaring example. Right. But you look at, and I'm a big person about understanding history. What we're seeing now in social media, you know, from the Russians using Facebook to manipulate to vote, you know, or to repress black voting in the 2016 election that come out now, that these tactics aren't new. The only thing that's new is the tool. Right. So, like, we would say, oh, social media ruined my relationship. No, if your relationship was unhealthy, social media was just the <laughs> tool that you expressed it with. Right. So, if, if, you're, if you're doing the right thing in your healthy relationship, you're not going to suddenly do the wrong thing on social media. So, so, so that's the first point. But with social media in particular, all I've done was put out what I wanted to see. So when people have all the negativity in their time streams, I don't have a lot of negativity in my time streams. Right. In part wow. because I don't put out a lot of negativity, and the algorithms are designed to serve you up what they see you paying attention to. And so I don't spend my time liking and sharing negativity. Um, I pay enough attention to the negativity to be um, vigilant <laughs> to protect myself, but not enough to, to, to spread it like a disease. Because if, if Facebook sees me liking and sharing certain types of stuff, guess what they're going to serve me more of? Right, exactly. And, and people talk about, oh, I got neg negative people in your time stream. I'm like, who are you following? <laughs> All social media doing is mirroring back, using their algorithm, 
what it looks like you think you like. Right, right. So I, I love, you know, my Facebook and Instagram and Twitter is uplifting. You know, people are being addicted to social media. I wouldn't say I'm addicted, but I do like that boost I get when I go on Instagram, for example, and I see how my mentees are winning. You know, one of my mentees might be, like one of my mentees works for Steve Harvey's TV show now. And so she'll post, you know, oh, this was happening here. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so great. Or, or my like, kids, you know, will right. post what they're doing because my kids are all adults and on their own. And, right. and a lot of times I find out about their big wins, not because they picked up the phone and called me and told me what happened. I'll look on their Instagram and it's like, oh, man, that's great. Let me repost that to let my kids know I'm so happy they're doing so well. And so my, my experience with social media, whether it's relationship, family, politics, is that I'm well-informed. And for the most part, I'm very encouraged and positive. But guess what? I'm well-informed as a person. And for the most part, I'm encouraging and positive. So when people, when people want to become influencers, my thing is influence the people you touch every day. Like I have 53,000 or something followers on Twitter, which is really good. That but is I don't good. have a million. I don't have 100,000. But I, but I started out with just like everybody else with two, right. And the question becomes, is it's like when I show up to do speeches. You know, I'm a professional speaker. I'm a paid keynote speaker. I'm, you know, I go around the country every year and you know, certain, you know, six, seven times a year on my schedule. And people are like, what do you happen when you show up and there's only twelve people in a room? Serve the, the people that's in the room. Two hundred people or a thousand people at the same. Energy <laughs> and enthusiasm I give to the 12 people. It don't matter how right. many people show up. Right, exactly. So you're not more of an influence based on how many people you reach. You're more of an influencer based on what you're pouring into these other people so that when they come to your your feed or your post or whatever, are you are you pouring positivity in? Right, and that's what we need. That's yeah. what we need. And, and yeah, that's exactly is, what we need. I've, not, I've done nothing artificial my like I know, I know there are great strategies and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them to boost your followers and, and to get you know you can pay people to help you grow your your my social media following is totally straight up organic right because I might if they like what I'm doing follow and if they don't I don't you know God bless you because I mean I'm like, <laughs> you what you need go find right. what you need and and and, uh, and by the way I'm not going to just follow you just because you follow me and if I follow you, that doesn't mean you owe me a follow. Right. You should only follow me if so. So this thing about influencers and you know, uh, I'm always like, if you're if you're trying to be an influencer, you're probably not an influencer. <laughs> if you say you're an influencer, you're probably I think not. I posted an influencer. something on Facebook a couple of days ago that says if you if you have to go around telling people you're sexy, a diva, you did, calling, you're a guru, <laughs> all those things, those are things that other people should say about you. Because if you really are that, you never have to say that about yourself. Never. I've never exactly. told somebody I'm a guru. I've never told anybody I'm a... I don't tell people I'm an influencer. I Decision did. And then let exactly. them grade me. Let them grade me. Right, right. No, no doubt. And, and that's the thing. And I think everything that you've said is spot on. And I love, I really love what you said is that you you pour into the people who pour into you. You pour into the people who decide, you know what, I want to listen to him. And like you said, it, the wonderful thing that people can take away from that, Alfred, is that it could be a million people in a room. It could be one person in a room. If you are humble enough about your craft, 
you pour into the you pour into that one person like you do on a million people and that's well, that's you, the, the question is did you come to serve or did you come to be served that's right right and you're killing it right exactly boy people who are listening to this man there's so much in this i promise you you're listening to the what's your revolution show with dr charles corporal my guest alfred edmund acclaimed author senior vice president and chief content editor at black enterprise is killing the game today with us on the what's your revolution show just dropping dimes dear brother you know as i, as I think about it our, our time is running short you know, but you have really put yourself out there with your your body transformation. You know, you have been bodybuilding and, and putting up that you're doing shows and the vulnerability that goes along with doing that. Tell me about that experience. What has that been like for you to, you know, basically put your body to the test day in and day out and then to put your body and hard work on display? What have you learned about yourself and what people what can people take away from your journey? Well, if, if you follow my, my personal brand, we talked about the Grown Zone, which is my brand with my, me and my, my wife, Zara. My personal brand is the Successpert. The Successpert. Got yes. it. So if you follow me, Alfred Edmund Jr., on any social media platform, you'll often see me hashtag the Successpert. If you go to my LinkedIn profile, it describes what that means. So I believe in four things, four pillars that is critical to long-term success. Physical fitness mental fitness, and you know how passionate I am about our, our dealing with our mental health proactively, physical fitness, mental fitness, financial fitness, which obviously jives with my life at Black Enterprise, right. and relationship fitness, which is grown zone. My thing is, if any four of those things are neglected, you will have a breakdown somewhere along the way, or you will never achieve your full potential. So my passion for fitness was my first serious act of self-love. That's me. That's me doing that for me. I don't do that for any. That, that that was the first thing that I did solely for me. That was the first thing I said. I don't care if I have meetings. I don't care if I have to travel. When I first adopted that lifestyle, it was, I was um, in my first marriage. I had a wife. I had three children. I was editor in chief of Black Enterprise Magazine at the time, and all of these things were people people I was putting ahead of me all day long. And and to one point, I like worked like a forty hour shift closing a magazine. And I had to ask myself, what am I doing to myself? Right. Because if I break down, then I can't serve my wife. I can't serve my children. I can't serve Black Enterprise. If I'm broken down, I can't do anything to anybody else. And I, it was a, this was a, in the summer of 97. I made up my mind I was going to work out three days a week no matter what. I was going to schedule it like an appointment or a meeting. Like exactly. if I wouldn't bail on a meeting the with same. the CEO of Black Enterprise, then I can't bail on myself for my gym workout. And I've been at the fitness since I was 15, but I was never committed to it as an act of self-love for me. So that led eventually to me becoming a natural bodybuilder and competing. And I just started competing again. Um, this would be my third year returning to competition after 15 years without competing. But I never stopped training. Because right. that, was my, that was what I was doing for Alfred. That was a, a love note to myself on a regular basis. Tell the story. I love that. A love note. I love so, that. So what I show that is to tell people you need to love your body. That's your vehicle to get through life until it stops working. All right, you got time. To, you got time to make appointments. You got time to travel. You got time to serve all these other people, but you can't have a decent meal. A healthy meal. And by the way, I outperform people because I am healthy and alert and strong. 
I'm about to celebrate my 59th birthday. Come on, brother. Come on, man. March you, 8th, I will be 59. Come on. You're going to have to show us your ID, man. You're going to have to, like, you know, uh, text that out there. Put that on uh, Instagram and Facebook. I don't believe that. Hey, listen. But my point is, I, came, I, got, I got good genes, so I always take all the credit. <laughs> on both sides of my family, people look relatively youthful. On my father's side and my mother's side. So I got, I got a double whammy of good genes. But your genetics is just the floor. After that, it's all lifestyle. That's why you can have twins. And depending on their lifestyle, one will right. look great and the other exactly. one will look horrible. So, so my thing is, I, I, I tell you, I don't want to leave any money on the table. I want to live as long as I can, as well as I can, and be as productive as I can. And by the way, particularly for black men and black women, this is the issue that's an economic issue. It's not just a you know, cosmetic issue or a vanity issue. or it's, it's, it's an economic issue. Here's what happens with most black people because we don't um, – love on ourselves in a way of exercise and nutrition. Black men tend to die in their peak earning years. If you're going to become a millionaire or a billionaire, chances are it's going to happen after the age of 45. Right. Especially if you're going to do it as an entrepreneur. But if you're having heart attacks or diabetes or dropping dagger strokes by the time you're 40 or 45, 50, then your biggest earning years are are gone. Right. You're done. So right when you should be achieving mastery in whatever it is that you do for a living and in maximizing your earning power is when you're you're dying. For women, and black women in particular, they tend to live, but they're sick. So how are you going to run your company? How are you going to make it to the CEO of that corporation? How are you going to um, build real wealth if you can't work as hard as you could possibly could. You can't get accepted promotion. You can't even compete for the promotion. And you're too sick to run and grow your business because you're, you've got issues. Right. And it starts with your diet. It's, it, it starts with taking care of yourself and working out uh, and, and being – it helps your productivity. Um, so I'm you know. trying to extend my peak earning years. This is not just about being able to pose on a stage and, and um, bodybuilding from. <laughs> I'm trying to – my thing is I want to extend my peak earning years in part because – I have to make up for some of the decisions I made, the adult decisions Man, that have cost. Tell the story, brother. So I'm trying to. I got like I got to extend my life and my earning power and my value to the marketplace to make up what what the price I paid for decisions earlier in my life, and then build up enough wealth so that if I want to stop working or I have to stop working, I can still live. So it's, it's yeah. a totally. It, it, the average life expectancy of a black man is, is about 72 years old. Right. Exactly. Right. So that means if you die at 45, depending on which metrics you believe, you've left a couple million dollars on the table. Wow. Wow. Tell that story. <laughs> no, I'm trying to live, man. Yeah, I, I'm not lying. You look the good, fact brother. The other people like it is wonderful, but I do it for me. I do it for me. I, <laughs> I show know. it on social media, particularly for, for um, not only black men, but older people, because it's never too late to start. So, again, this is about me pouring into other people. Here's what's working for me. You ask me how I can do all this stuff. Well, here's the lifestyle that I'm living. And if you adopt some of these elements as your lifestyle, you may get some of the beneficial results. And, again, people are telling me, listen, I'm following your example, and I'm happy. I feel better. I'm stronger. I'm more alert. I handle stress better. I'm able to accomplish things. I got more stamina. So, therefore, I can run my business. Therefore, I can be a present husband or a present wife. I can I can play with my grandchildren, and, and, you know, and I, instead of sitting on the porch watching them play, I can Maybe be in the game. to exhibit that. Yeah. 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 And exactly. So that's what it's about. 
and that goes back to that previous question about you being that influencer, you know, and now putting it out to, and everybody knows if they follow you, but, you know, those people who don't, who listen to the show, this 59-year-old man who does not look 59 is out there, you know, pushing it on stage, you know, uh, winning big trophies, you know, for his efforts. And that's an amazing thing, brother. And, and the other we, thing is I got goals that go beyond what I've done. If you're still right. alive, you shouldn't be, your biggest goal shouldn't be in your yearbook. <laughs> if you're still here you need to be setting some big goals so I'm on my like I, I, I've been I've competed for the last two years uh, in the uh, Drug Free Athletes Coalition World Finals which is an international competition um, didn't plan it that way but I got the opportunity and I was able to take advantage of it so now I got goals my goal is by the time I get my 60th birthday I want to like I've never won my class yet I've gotten third place in my class I've never won a, a whole show so I'm like, by the time I'm 60, I want to win a show. By the time I get to my early 60s, I want to be a legitimate contender in the international competition, meaning I got to beat people from the UK and from Germany. and from. So it's a wonderful thing to be pushing 60 and still have big-ass, hairy goals. <laughs> uh, we need them, and we need to As make sure to that— As you're thinking you're on the downside and you're about to coast down no. to, you know— so if you set big goals for yourself, it pushes you, it pushes you under pressure, it makes you, but it makes life fun. And that's right. the other thing. If you ain't having fun, you ain't loving yourself. Mm. Brother, you are telling, you are weaving together a tapestry for the, uh, you know, for our revolutionaries who listen every week, dear brother. I mean, just weaving together everything that, you know, men and both the, the women who love us, you know, and the men who love us as well can hear, you know, and I appreciate that, brother. You know, our time is running short. You know, I always ask, what, what is that one or two things? And you've dropped, you know, so many pearls of wisdom tonight. What is one or two things you want to say for men as they listen to the show about how they can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves? Well, the, the two things I want to say are, is kind of a plug and it still serves what you're, what you're talking about. One, you are a BE Modern Man of Distinction. And Thank the BE Modern Man program that we launched with Black Enterprise now almost five years ago is about changing the narrative of black men as being producers and contributors, not um, burdens on society. Meaning it's about truth again. This right. is the truth of who we are. So I, I, we're still accepting nominations for the new class. So I would want your listeners to, to nominate people they know or nominate yourself if you feel the need to. There's nothing wrong with that. At blackenterprise.com forward slash BE excuse me, blackenterprise.com forward slash nomination. Um, we've already identified about 40 of the 100 that we're going to select for this year. Wow. But we want we want to get, you know, as many people in the mix. We got about 2,000 nominations. Wow. We can nominate multiple times. But our goal is to show, as you know, a cross-section of the excellence that black men are, and we do the hashtag black men excel. Um, and to that end, I want people to, to check out um, blackenterprise.com forward slash blackmenxcel, X-C-E-L without the E. Um, and you know this event. This is our yes. annual event celebrating exactly. excellence and leadership among black men. It's going to be back in Florida at PGA National Resort and Spa. You can go to blackenterprise.com. I will be there. I will be there. It is, it's, a, it's a unique, and you can testify because you've been there. Yes. There's no event like it that celebrates black men. And nothing. You're, I nothing. mean, I by felt... The way, Honored. We want the sisters there, so women yes. don't think this is like a men-only event. <laughs> it's fun, it's concerts, it's comedy, we have our Excel Awards, 
We've already identified Mark Morial as one of the um, Excel nice. Award honorees this Very year of the nice. National Urban League. Um, but there's no event like it, and I would be remiss if, if I didn't urge you. And by the way, the BE Modern Men um, get to go complimentary. I mean, they may have to pay for their travel and lodging, right. but registration, that's part of the one of the rewards of being a BE Modern Man. Right, um, right. You know, and, and we offer like a discounted registration for any guests they bring, spouses, whatever. So, it's a, but, it, but it's built to celebrate excellence of black men, and we have to be proactive about celebrating each other, celebrating ourselves, feeding into each other, nurturing each other, which is why, you know, I was like, I got to do your show. I know it, it took us a while to get this done. No, and I appreciate it, brother. I There's appreciate reason, it so what much. You, what's your res- revolution is a perfect example of what a beat modern man is about, which is why you got selected, uh, because it's what you're doing on a daily basis that you just see as just living your daily life. But as you, you know, like the BE Modern Man model is extraordinary, is our normal. Right, right. Alfred, man, I appreciate it so much, man. Our time has run out, but you have dropped so much today. And I just appreciate for what you're doing in the world. You know, everybody listening, my guest today, Alfred Edmund Jr., Senior Vice President and Chief Content Editor at Black Enterprise. Make sure you continue to check out the Western Revolution Show on WHIV 102.3. Thursdays at 10 a.m. We'll see you next week, everyone. Take care and always be able to answer the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution, everyone? Take care. Peace.